Hi, everybody. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about parties. <laughs> I'm sure many of you have been in charge of organising a great party. When I say this, I'm talking about one of those ones where you've hired the hall, you've got the tables, you've got the chairs, you've got that gorgeous white tablecloth, the cake and the candles, maybe even your favourite band. It's a big, fat dinner party. And we would tend to plan it way in advance. We would send out invitations and by email, I guess nowadays, or maybe a social media group. In any case, from your perspective as a host, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of planning, it's a lot of cost, but it's a lot of joy. And never mind trying to decide who to invite and who not to invite. But what about the people who get invited? When you get that invitation to the 60th birthday party or a big 21st birthday party of someone really dear to you, or that wedding anniversary of that couple that you've known for years, if you can't make it, something else is on that same date. You feel a bit guilty. I do. But it's okay if we politely decline in plenty of time. But we certainly wouldn't want to send an SMS message at the last minute saying something like, uh, I bought a house a couple of weeks ago and I'm moving in this weekend, or um, I need to get down to the stock markets, buy some more sheep for my farm. Jesus' parable is a bit like that. When we are organising a great party event, the host makes a great effort and the invitees pay attention to their response. So today's reading, Luke chapter 14 verses 12 to 24, is a story within a story. It's a great dinner inside a great dinner. And I say that because Jesus was at a dinner party and then he told a parable about a dinner party. And in Jesus' day, the meal invitation protocol was even more complicated than for us. So my message today is in four parts. Firstly, I'll paint a picture. We'll take a closer look at the dinner that Jesus was attending, as well as getting a closer understanding of the parable itself. It'll give some insights on the culture and customs and the time and how that honour and shame culture meant that people were stuck. Then we'll open a window. We'll open a window on understanding what Jesus wanted us to learn about his kingdom, more understanding of the kingdom of God. Then I'll hold up a mirror. This one might be awkward. That's when we'll explore where we see ourselves in the story. Finally, we'll see how the story encourages us to live differently, to walk through a new door. So I'll paint the picture. Jesus has been invited to a dinner by the lead Pharisee. It's on the Sabbath day. That is the most important meal of the week. 
think we've heard of the Pharisees, but some of you may not. They were the dominant religious group at the time of Jesus. They knew all the laws of the Old Testament, but they'd also added to that with oral traditions. So you could know how to apply it in daily life. So they had applications of laws and laws of applications, and it was so complicated for people to stay religious. They'd created also a paradigm where they only invited those who enhanced their religious prestige. They valued purity laws so that those who were unclean were just not allowed to be part of them. It also meant that even if they had decided to invite somebody who may be poor or hungry, that person would automatically refuse because the honour and shame culture meant that everybody had to repay and reciprocate. It was like keeping up with the Joneses, but far worse, far worse. So if you were poor or blind, crippled or lame, those are the, the words that Jesus uses from his time, or outside of the Jewish religion, how could anybody respond with a reciprocal invite? So then we might ask, what was Jesus doing at that dinner? He was a carpenter. He was a traveling guy, maybe a little bit dusty, walking from Galilee to Jerusalem. Well, by this time, Jesus had attracted a huge crowd of followers. In fact, just a little bit earlier in the same book, in the book of Luke, it says that there were so many, there were thousands, they were tripping over each other. And the Pharisees were watching Jesus. They had a political agenda as well to eradicate Roman domination of Jewish people. That's what they thought Jesus might do, that he might end up doing it instead of them. So everybody was stuck, stuck in their religious circle, Jew, Greek or Roman, or stuck in where they were in society, rich, poor, outcast. But Jesus wanted us to look through a window. Jesus knows that he has come to bring in a new era. By coming as God in person, God's priorities were now breaking in on earth. Jesus turns to the host and says, Do not invite only those who can repay you. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame, and you will be blessed. He also talks about the resurrection of the righteous. And then one of the Pharisees, the guest, replies, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom. He's thinking of the future. He's thinking of heaven, something that's far distant, or maybe the end of Roman rule, followed by eternal bliss. Jesus tells the parable to open the window and correct his perspective. For Jesus knows the kingdom of God is right here, in the here and the now. It's a kingdom that has upside-down values to that of the world. And that's the parable. Or a little recap. 
Someone gives a great dinner and invites many. The someone would be a wealthy person in Jesus' day. And a formal invitation would have gone out, maybe a little bit like us. But at the last minute, somebody would go and fetch the guests. But we can imagine how much work was involved. They would have to slaughter the animals, go out into the fields, pull up the veggies, you know, cook the whole thing. And the aroma and the smells would have pervaded the entire town. I feel really, really sad for those people who were hungry and and poor. It wasn't an estate way out in the country, but right here under everyone's noses. So when everything's ready, the servant goes out to get those rich and wealthy who had accepted the invite and bring them to the meal. But how rude it was when everyone, not just the three people that we remember the excuses, but everyone refused to come. The shame of the person who was hosting the meal could have been great. The others who pulled out at the last minute didn't seem to have any shame. And there's been a lot of focus on the reasons that these people gave. I've bought a piece of land and I need to go and see it. And some say, well, wouldn't you go and see it before you buy it? And um, I've bought five oxen and I need to try them out. Well, maybe you buy what you've already tried. And then the other one says, I'm recently married. Now, the interesting thing that I learned while getting ready for the sermon was that the original listeners of the parable, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they were very well versed in Old Testament. They knew their scripture. They would have recognized something from Deuteronomy, which is three valid reasons for young men to not go to war. If you've bought land, you need to use it. If you've got oxen, you need it for the benefit of the community. And if you're married, well, you need to have, have an heir. You can't be leaving your wife and risking your marriage just straight afterwards. So from a social perspective, in the context of war, that was seen as valid reasons. But I think that even in Jesus' day, in the context of a meal refusal, it would have seemed rude and ironic and kind of funny. So the host of the meal has a servant who's sent out into the streets of the town to bring in the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame. And the host didn't worry a bit that his honour had been lost and everyone refusing. He was angry. Oh yeah, he was angry. But he simply wanted his party to be full of people. When the servant comes back saying, there's still more room. The host says, go out to the pathways and the roads and beg and compel people to come in. My house must be full. Now, why would it have been said to beg or compel? That sounds a bit not like the loving God that we know. Because of this honour and shame system, a person who would unexpectedly, or maybe even you might think that, and unexpectedly, come on, come to my you know, I've got all the drinks and I've got all the food ready for you. Come along. Somebody would say, well, what's the trap? But also the people invited would know they'd have to repay. It's like, I can't repay a, a rich dinner like that. You know, so, but the host 
His invitation to the meal was free. No strings attached. Amazing. So this parable is that window. It helps us to understand Jesus' perspective of, of the kingdom of God. Now, the Gospel of Luke that we read this morning calls it the kingdom of God. And the Gospel of Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. Now, this was, has led us sometimes to think that this kingdom is all about where we go, all about eternal life. And there is that promise, absolutely. But one of the reasons that Matthew said the kingdom of heaven was because writing and repeating over and over the name of God seemed so, it was such a, a reverent name that Matthew wanted to say the kingdom of heaven. So, but it does mean the same thing. It's the kingdom of God. Now, there's a first level understanding, and we sung it in the last verse of the Sunday school song that we had this morning. We fear that he is preparing a banquet for that great and glorious day, and we may, he may leave us behind. This is what the Pharisee was also thinking at the dinner table. And this parable was told so that this guy could enrich his thinking. Jesus' emphasis is on the kingdom of God in the here and now. And we hear this when Mary sings her praises in Luke, knowing that the baby she is carrying, Jesus, is God in human form. God is a human being. She sings, the lowly will be lifted up and the rich will be sent away empty. Jesus also begins his ministry in the temple when he rolls out the scroll of Isaiah and says, I've come to bring good news to the poor, set the oppressed free and proclaim sight for the blind. But this parable is said as an answer to a Pharisee's claim to have a secured place in the heavenly banquet. But Jesus wants him and us, I think, to know that this kingdom starts right now. So this meal metaphor is about the kingdom of God breaking into our own society, breaking into structures and barriers, social structures where poor remain poor and uncared for, lost remain lost. Some people owe it to others. This is not the way God wants it to be. And Jesus, our saviour, has come to change everything, to start this new era where human value systems are turned upside down. And like in our worship song this morning, the majesty and power of this kingdom's king has come. Jesus and we, we continue as his body, as we say, the body of Christ on earth, the church, and disciples in, his, in today's world. And I like to think of it kind of like this way, that we in Hope Whangarei and all the churches in Hope in, in Whangarei and in New Zealand, we're like little colonies of heaven on earth. The fact that we come together and worship, live together, creates a community where the world should know what it's like to love one another as I have loved you. So when Jesus concludes that parable by saying that none of those invited would taste his dinner, 
I don't think it really means about losing our place in heaven. I think it means that those who are part of the community of God, the community of the host, and I think that means us here and those in New Zealand who benefit from a Christian-based and established society in the end. We're actually missing out on the life of the party. Missing out, those who don't come to the banquet are missing out on playing their part to continually bring God's heaven to the world right now. Okay, so that's the window. It's a little window on the kingdom of God right now. Now I'd like to look in the mirror. It's a bit harder, right? Where am I? Where are we in this parable and in this party? In the host's generosity, it is a party that is free for all. We see and we recognize God's amazing grace. We are those who could never repay or never return God's favor. We are or we were way out there in the roads or the highways with our back turned to God or thinking we don't need him or maybe not even knowing he wants to know us. And we didn't think we could even come to that party maybe. So God came and drew us in. He begged us to come. And we get forgiven, we become transformed, we begin to lead a different life. Okay, in the mirror we can also see ourselves in the group of the poor, the blind, the crippled and the lame. Because destitution can be physical or spiritual. Alone, maybe cold, and crippled, having lost a part of ourselves. Maybe we've been very badly hurt unable to function, lumping along. And we reflect that without Jesus' saving grace, we're kind of blind and we're unable to walk straight in life. The words of amazing grace ring true, and I'm sure that brings you to tears too. So we've come to God's party and we find our place. The other way that I think that we can see it in the mirror is that we're part of the people of God of all nations. We, we read the prophecy of Isaiah this morning, chapter 25. We experience life together in the power of our triune God and community with people of all nations where the shroud has been lifted. But hey, I think it might be far more uncomfortable for us to recognize ourselves as those invited who are expected to show up and who don't. We do live in a society where the kingdom values, such as free education, health care, so many things have come because of believing Christians over the time. And people are in society and they're also benefiting from that. And yet when it comes to actually want to be part of church and be in community, it just, oh, no, not for me. Or maybe we, as really committed Christians, and myself even, stuff just gets in the way sometimes of doing what God wants us to do. And so when we first encountered this great love, we gave that written reply. Yes, Jesus, thank you. 
I am so grateful for your saving grace. But now it's kind of a last-minute text. Uh, sorry, can't help with that part of the kingdom service that I that you're calling me to do. You know, I, I know that's no, can't do it. So, actually, if you look, half of the parable is spent on in words on the, that sort of person that we might see in the mirror. So. I think it's it's so pervasive even in Jesus' time and today's time that we can attach ourselves to the good things and the blessings of God. Like the man who had bought a field, we too, we look at security of income, employment, our houses, our backyards, our leaves that need picking up or our trees that need pruning. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, actually. It's a very wise thing very wise to honour God with conscientious stewardship of his blessings. But is that security? And we still have to participate in the kingdom of God. I think the second reason, which is like the man who bought five oxen, it's about prestige, because that was far many more oxen than most people would have ever had, even rich people in the time. So you know, when we gain material goods, we spend a lot of time just having to look after them. So it's an effort, and we and we spend our effort on that rather than on on serving God. And these things, and the last thing, marriage, children. What a blessing to have Fano. What a blessing to have family in church as well. And all of these things are the building blocks of a good and stable life in service of God. But we can't just take those privileges created by us and also by our Christian society. We need to keep up, turning up, turning up in the here and now, God's kingdom right now. Okay, so the last part is the door. In the story, God invites us to step through. Who is, who is the one throwing the great party? In the story, Jesus doesn't just say, I gave a great dinner, or the Father gave a great dinner and you are invited. No, he just said someone. Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. Maybe Jesus wants us to just get out of the seat of the saved or the invited, and through the door and be the host. It's too easy to just say God is preparing a meal for us. Jesus says, has said in John, I am in you and you are in me. And in Luke 10, which is the same book, just a few chapters, he says when sending out his disciples, anyone who hears you, hears me. So we're supposed to throw the party where evil is defeated and invite those who cannot repay us. Even if we were once the party guests who were begged to come along, now we have his spirit. This is to make us bold to be the party hosts in turn. One thing I thought about is we cannot be great dinner party hosts if we are ourselves really hungry. Right? Has that ever happened to you? 
you're holding out, trying to cook in the kitchen and not pick at the food so there's still enough for the guests. Oh no, all the prawns are eaten and I've promised seafood cocktails. Do I get a laugh? No, that, that's my husband actually. <laughs> well, you know, Satan knows that hunger is a big temptation and he tried to get Jesus to turn stones to bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus also says in this parable, no worries, guys. There's plenty of party food. I have plenty. Feed on me. And to be great hosts, you can't be hungry. God's word is what we feed on. So then what kind of party am I talking about? So today we'll celebrate the meal that we call communion in this worship service. And this is a symbol and a mystery of our communion with the living Christ. It's a bit easy to just think of that as the meal. This party is more than that. It's the whole of life in the community of love, a family called the church, in service of the world, of our community. And what kind of party are we throwing? Let's not just be the ones who invite those that we're comfortable to invite, that think the same as us, dress the same as us, speak the same as us. Jesus in his parable is prompting us to walk through the door to a new way. He's prompting us to celebrate God's kingdom so that the good news can be good news to those who are at the end of the road, the end of the line or the bottom of the pile. And I do know that Christians do so much in a host of the kingdom. Soup kitchens, charities, hospital visiting, educating, replanting native forests, so much more. But our house and our community is where we reassure people that they can come in, no debt, no judgment. So let your imagination fire up. What, what, would, what do you do as the host of the party? We all have skills and abilities. We have material blessings. We can use them to throw a great party called Life in the Kingdom. And we in Hope Whangarei have a vision for this inner city site. Ways we can bring the kingdom as the host of the great dinner. So walk through that door and you are equipped in the power of the Spirit to be the host. Okay, so I'm going to bring it home. Today we had the privilege of delving into Jesus' parable of the great dinner. And like the first disciples, we might ask Jesus, why do you tell stories? Why? In Matthew chapter 13, he gave an answer, and I'm going to read it from the adaptation known as the message. It's a kind of an adaptation. Jesus replies, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, or at least not yet. Not yet this insight. It hasn't yet been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge people toward a welcome awakening. Amazing.
What has awakened you this morning? What are Jesus' nudgings for you? Jesus says, first of all, God's kingdom is right now, not just a distant heavenly place. It brings heaven on earth and we are his community. If you are still lost on the byways and paths of life and don't know him, Jesus is begging you to come into kingdom life. If you're in a bad way, destitute, something hurting really badly, come to the party. It's free. You'll find freedom. And Jesus says there's plenty of room. If you've already been invited, you've said yes and you've now got better things to do, just come and join in fully. We know Christ. We are empowered by his spirit living in us. If you're too hungry to be the host, feed on God's word. Strengthen yourself. And we can reimagine the great party to throw, an amazing party where anyone can come. So if anything in this sermon has touched you this morning, you want to commit your life to Christ for the first time or recommit to be his invitee or pray for guidance as to how to use your gifts to be the host of the party. We will be preparing now for a time of communion for you to be in yourself and in community with Christ. And then we will have prayer also here as always. At, and I'll be here also to pray with you. So thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for this parable. Amen.